Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air from a dusky evening suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's, it's fall, it's nice out though, and uh, enjoying a bit of the cooler weather. Uh, this episode is going to be called uh, The Jedi in Exile, and we're going to be looking at parallels in scripture and in church history with uh, the Jedi, especially at the, you know, at the point of Order 66 and the aftermath of that. Um, I'm going to, yeah, hopefully go into what actually, how we understand both uh, the, the situations that the people of God find themselves in and what happened with the Jedi, especially in the prequel trilogy and why I find that so fascinating. Um, first, the news. Uh, not too much news. I don't even think this counts as a news story, quite frankly. The uh, title, the hitherto no, uh, known as Untitled Han Solo film, has come out. It's called Solo. Um, <laughs> and the thing I find so funny about that is for just a simple title that that's what we were all calling it basically anyway the official title was untitled Han Solo film and now it's just solo uh after all this news of this film <laughs> the title comes out as just this whimper of yeah calling it solo nothing descriptive nothing nothing to tell you really anything about the story we could have told you this you know a few months ago that's that's the funniest thing is is that they waited this long for this title <laughs> and uh, just doesn't tell us anything. So they could have could have told us a while ago. Who knows when the trailer is coming? I know it's all in the midst of the buzz of the of the Last Jedi and that just barreling towards that film coming out. Um, but you know, it's just just funny the way they did it through Ron Howard, of course. This makes sense through Ron Howard just showing up on screen in the street clothes and he gets a sign from a Wookiee. He turns around and says, Solo, a Star Wars story. And it's kind of on an angle, which is kind of neat. A bit of an almost, a, I, hope, I don't know if it's an intentional nod to Millennial Falcon over on Screen Junkies. Kind of hope not. I'm not too crazy about that, about that show. I think Jenny Nicholson's a great human being and I'm sure she's a legit Star Wars fan, but. She just critiques everything all the time, it seems. So, anyway, the, the logo's angled. That's kind of funny. Um, but, you know, I mean, with, with The Last Jedi, you had Andy Gutierrez on StarWars.com, you know, re- releasing this video, this YouTube video, the title of Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, and everything made a big thing of it. Here, it's like, Solo. Yeah, it, it just, come on. <laughs> um they could, they could have done that a few months ago. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe they took this long to decide on it. Who knows? Anyway, uh, maybe they just don't want to detract from the last Jedi buzz. I guess. I guess. I guess that might be it. And I don't think that's much of a news story. It's a nothing title. I mean, maybe not nothing. It's 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 nice and simple. It's snappy, uh, just like the way the film might end up being. Um, no, I mean he, he, the the guy's name. We've known what his name means for forty years. He 
never tell me tell me the odds. The only person I take orders from is me. You know, <laughs> we've heard that line for forty years, so we know he flies solo. Even though he has the life debt with Chewie and best buds with him, but yeah. Um, I mean, I guess come to think of it, it, it is the only title they could have done, but that's not necessarily anyway. I don't want to spend too much more time on that. Um, the Rebels episode. So this is how I'm, how my Star Wars thing still slowly making it through uh, from a certain point of view. Almost off Tatooine. It's kind of funny, the different seeing different things from the same the same thing from different angles. And, uh, that was interesting, but uh, yeah, they, as as promised, my non spoiler review of. Last night's Rebels episode, so yeah, I'm recording this on Tuesday. Uh, I'm here in Canada. They, they're they only showing Rebels at 9 p.m. is the only time they're showing it live. Showing it, not live, but you know what I mean. Um, so I'm saying last night's episode. Yeah, and I, I, I did read different reviews and mixed reviews. Um, I got to say, I loved it as much as I did when I saw it at Fan Expo. Uh, I, I did give a review of it, uh, a bit more extended non-spoiler review, um, in my kind of fan expo fear in the Loth wolf, wolf episode, which took me down an interesting path. Um, and, uh, yeah, but again, I, I thought the action was exciting. I thought the, uh, just the way we, we do, uh, I will, this isn't a spoiler that we go into in depth into Mandalorian culture a little more and even Mandalorian history to some degree and in a very fascinating way. Um, the, one of the interesting things I really appreciated about, and I thought this time around, no, this is time around. It's to the point. It's an hour long episode. <coughs> Sorry. It's an hour long episode, but it gets, it doesn't linger on, soaring emotional things it just it's a bit more matter of fact because there's still lots of work to do with this rebellion uh, on mandalore and throughout the galaxy (coughs) sorry um i do have my water here bear with me and so yeah uh i definitely recommend you watching it Uh, i mean if some people say things that don't make sense here and there I think those are kind of nitpicky. I, I, I mean, my one of my favorite things about it was is when you watch it, Ezra's dialogue. Um, yeah, it's kind of the kind of real human humor. It's it's very realistic humor uh, that you, you don't expect. You've never, we've never actually really seen this before, except from someone like Han Solo, who's a little more mature. But it had the type of things that worked. With Han and especially in Empire Strikes Back, uh, work with Ezra here, his dialogue and his uh, almost self-deprecating <laughs> kind of figuring it out, bumbling along, yeah, but still able to to get the job done in the end. That's not, you know, hate to break it to you, but <laughs> it, uh, hopefully that's not much of a spoiler. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, I'm probably gonna watch that episode again um, in a week that had. The worst Star Trek Discovery episode so far. <laughs> and then turn it around and watch an, a fantastic, not the best 
season premiere. They've had better season premieres, but that's that's such a high bar to judge against. So, um, I'm I'm really excited. My, again, my 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 final thought uh, after watching the episode again last night is, well, Rebels is as good as Clone Wars now. Um, that's a high bar, but you know, Clone Wars it needed a few years to to get going. Rebels it needed a few years, but to, for doing what it's doing in, in showing us the, uh, the the rebellion coming together and showing us these characters that we've connected to in in doing that, um, yeah, it, it's it's really started to. I mean, we're again, like I said last week, we're really connected to these characters, and this episode just continued that and got us to, uh, yeah, got us excited for the season, this last season. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to every Monday night at 9 p.m. I'm calling it Rebels Night in Canada because that's when they're airing it. So, um, yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. So, uh, that's my non-spoiler review. I will probably do spoilery half-season recaps. Um, hopefully, not too crowded in with the whole with all the Last Jedi stuff I'm gonna do. But uh, yeah, I definitely I do want to actually talk about what actually happens in these episodes, and so um, yeah, that will be coming. But I'll make a very clear warning. Okay, so Jedi in Exile, and uh, if you, if you've you know I put the timestamp, I said okay, if you want to go straight to this, here we are, Jedi in Exile, um, and, and again, this was one of those one of those topics that I wanted to to discuss uh, from the very beginning, one of those very interesting, clear to me parallels that arise um i did when, when my friend dallas interviewed me turned the tables it was good uh, i i gave an off the cuff sort of this is where this thing would go uh answer um but i really want to flesh this out and and a few a few two things that uh like kind of in in the fan blog slash podcast community come out in the last last week well just one just today so last week um uh, beltway banthas who i've mentioned quite a few times uh they they had a very fascinating uh law and star wars uh podcast the episode they got on a pair of lawyers who have their blo- a blog about law and and fanfic uh not fan fiction, nerd fiction geek fiction uh, fandoms and properties, I guess is the, <laughs> the technical term. And uh, so, the, yeah, they mentioned a few different issues, kind of clone rights and uh, boarding parties and things like that. Interesting episode. I recommend you reading it or listening to it, rather. One of the examples I brought up, which I will get to, is uh, Ahsoka's trial at the end of Clone Wars. And this I have spoiled for you on this on this podcast. If you if you haven't uh, if you haven't seen all that, pause this right now. It's still on Netflix, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, watch that the last arc of season five, Oakland Wars. 
then come back to about 12, we're, we're about 12 minutes into this podcast right now. Um, so, yeah, and they brought that up, and then I'll, I'll get back to that. But just today, uh, Brandon Boylan of from Clashing Sabres, and he's active in listening to Paul Sith and posting his things. He, he has a podcast too, which I've given a good listen to. Uh, anyway, he posted a blog today about how the Jedi, just just how the Jedi lost their way. And it's a very nice, clear, uh, clear, well, very well-structured article about, basically, you take the Jedi Code and the articles in the Jedi Code either, uh, for example, there's no emotion, there's only peace, there's peace, how that was maybe misguided or misinterpreted, um, or, you know, there's no death, there's the Force, how that may have been misunderstood, uh, different ways in which, yeah, they either, either their code shot themselves in the foot, or, more interestingly, the, the code itself is good, this is, this is going to sound familiar, but their interpretation, application of it was off, and was very much, you got to follow the code or else, um, and so, yeah, very much in, in tune with, uh, good, good job, Brandon, very, very well, well put together article that I'll, I'll post a link to, and, uh, very timely for me, because I was stewing over, over this podcast, this, uh, podcast episode, and, um, it gives a good picture uh, of where the Jedi are at in in Episode Three, and and of course the Clone Wars episode with Ahsoka comes very quickly, uh, very soon before all that. Uh, very shortly, it's at the end of the series, and and yeah, I mean Anakin is the primary example of 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 what of how the Jedi were corrupt and who the Jedi let down. But I think Ahsoka's example, this example with Ahsoka and her, and her trial, uh, show some very interesting, very telling points about the corruption of the Jedi. Just not just corruption, just yeah. I mean, corruption in the sense of all these lines were blurred, and uh, you know, <laughs> the we Order sixty when something like this could happen. Order 66 was around the corner. And the question they specifically brought up, as I suspensively take a sip of water, the question they specifically brought up was, is, is Tarkin acceptable as the, the prosecutor? And uh, they said, well, you know, they said, even if this is a, if this is a criminal proceeding or, or whatnot, you know, he, he isn't, a competent prosecutor. He's uh, he, he's a, a general in the Grand Army of the Republic, I believe, and you know, soon to have political has a lot of political clout, but not a legal expert. Similarly, Padme, uh, not a legal expert. She she serves as Ahsoka's defense. Um, but what my where my mind went to is. Look, this is actually primarily, um, I believe, I, I should, I, I just kind of question my own thought here, but I believe, I mean, primarily 
a, a matter of internal Jedi discipline, right? And where my mind goes to there is, well, if this were a, uh, a canonical proceeding of, of ecclesiastical discipline, of church discipline, to have some external uh, military guy come in and say, or government agent come in and say, we're going to prosecute <laughs> an ecclesiastical discipline court uh, case. That's a huge no-no. Um, that he's not, you know, sympathetic. I mean, we see him on the Death Star in Episode Four being a little more sympathetic. We know he can be uh, at least sympathetic to games of the Sith. Certainly not sympathetic to the aims of the Jedi, and he's not part of the Jedi Order. Um, and so, for me, that whole episode, I mean, that's just the one little thing. I mean, the, the bigger point being how she's framed, how Ahsoka's framed, and uh, she's kicked out because they need a, a quick conviction and need someone to blame for the bombing of the temple and all this stuff. Um and and I've talked about the aftermath of, of of all that, but um, yeah. So both of those articles things started to jog my my juices here, and to talk about um about Jedi in exile, and and this is really the this these things point to the first of three phases here. So it's so only let, let me back up a little bit, um. Why? Because the first, in, in, as in the state before exile, if you will. Um, so let me back up a bit and, and look at the turn to open your Bibles. No. <laughs> um, turn to uh, where we see situations of exile in scripture and in church history. Um, so this is the parallels I'm going to here. Um, you know, along with the church discipline one that I've but I will come back to in a bit uh, what that what that speaks of. Um, so, in scripture and church history, I, I can think of a number of of moments throughout that that we can describe as situations of of going into exiles. Where I'm going, and that's what we're pointing to is things. Now, it's a bit inaccurate to say. So for some of these, it's a bit inaccurate to say uh, they're discrete in different points. Um, that I'll get to because because clearly in some cases they lead to another. Um, and so so the the main one that the uh, the the overall traject- narrative trajectory really of the Hebrew Bible um, is the Assyrian Babylonian exile. So the trajectory there is, they, they're, the tribes in the world, in in the promised land, and they gradually they get a king and the monarchy and moral degradation and idolatry happens and um, corruption and oppression happens alongside it because it's a situation of power, and uh, and so so in the end we just just been reading Ezekiel and Jeremiah in, in uh, these verdicts saying, okay, God is going to take away the, the power of the elites and carry the people off into exile in Babylon. Um, one that you can sort of look at is 
uh, I, I think maybe intentionally is intended to look at, but we don't think of it that much, is Israel, or not really Israel, but but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants, people going to Egypt, just so, so Jacob's sons and his, their, their families going to Egypt, um, ultimately being enslaved, and then the exodus. And the there's more focus there on the slavery and the exodus, but... Um, but what's fascinating about the Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exile is how much they forgot that they were slaves in the land of Egypt because they started to enslave other people and uh, forgetting the God that took that delivered them. So, so there's that one. There's so the Babylonian exile is the main one. Um, related to that, though, is uh, you know they come back. But it's never the same. And um, another point there we can see is, well, first of all, interesting point, interesting parallel. So part of it, with the Babylonian exile, there's the destruction of the temple. Like they march into Jerusalem. They ransack the temple. There have already been uh, idol worship and other things going on there. Um in the with the Assyrian Greeks, so they come back, they rebuild the temple, but later the Assyrian Greeks come and they they take out the temple again, uh, or they 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 rough it up, I should say. Um, you know, in, in the trying to, yeah, yeah, they, they rough it up a little bit, uh, they don't full and destroy it, um, but I, I'm trying to get my chronology right here, but you have the, uh, the Hanukkah story, for example, is, is where this plays in. Um, the Maccabees, they come back, they, uh, you know, they rebuild the temple. They find this, this oil. Um, they're, yeah. So sorry, I should clarify. So the Babylonians, they just steal things from the temple. They don't destroy it. <laughs> The Assyrian Greeks do fall and destroy the temple. Um, Herod, interestingly enough, is one of the descendants of these uh, Maccabees. So they established this Hasmonean dynasty and uh, a royal line. And Herod is a descendant of this line. He rebuilds the temple. Um, but by this point, they're very much in bed with Romans. And so what we have by the time of Jesus' day is the Roman occupation. So we have uh, the you know, uh, slavery in Egypt, Syrian Babylonian exile. Uh, it's a different wrinkle, right? It, it's it's a home exile with the Assyrian Greeks and the and the Romans. It's a home exile, um, and the temple is destroyed, and it's destroyed for good. And what's interesting is um, the by this point you have these groups looking at the trajectory, the narrative trajectory of the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scriptures, and they've seen it come to this cosmic culmination, um, or, or at least that they, it will one day. Now, one one very peculiar sect that's Starting to welcome these Gentiles in and whatnot, believes that the Messiah has actually died and rose again. Um, 
other groups think, uh, oh no, that the Messiah is going to come and you need a descendant of David who's going to just take over and, and reestablish the, the kingdom. Funny thing is that that first group, they're still around. They're called Christians. Um, you know, the billion of us. Yeah, I mean, we we actually do claim that first of all that the the trajectory of uh, the corruption of the people of God, the trajectory of the corruption of the world, it meets in what's really here's the funny thing: the crux of history. See right there at the cross. It, it, it this culmination. So the ultimate exile is the son's separation from the father. Um, taking on willingly the sins of the world and the, the and, and exile becomes in a way this allegory for or, or allegory for the consequences of sin um, slavery slavery in Egypt uh, the displacement of Babylon it it, it becomes the, the situation where we need a savior redeemer. Um, I've gone into that with with you know, with the Anakin Redemptor and that second episode about Darth Vader and the crucifixion. So uh, if you're interested in me going in more in depth than that, feel free to check those out. Um, a few more, I'm not done. <laughs> a few more parallels. A few more more times. And this is more interpreting. Uh, church history in light of those scriptural events. And uh, a big one is is the Reformation. And again, we're coming up to 500 years of the Reformation. Um, is a strong sense of... And, and this one is a little more complicated because uh, we can make some easy all-or-nothing claims here and I'm actually not convinced those are accurate. Uh, I do. I wonder if. Well, I'm pretty clear to myself that from wherever you're sitting, what you think about the Reformation, it, it's very much colored by your own contemporary liberal experience and thinking, oh yeah, the the Catholic Church was all corrupt and Luther was this bastion of freedom. I I, I see part of that in the narrative. I I don't. I'm not convinced it's fully the case um and that'll be interesting in, in how we interpret uh the jedi in order 66 interesting yeah well um so what happened there reformation of course is um the 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 authority of the church is coterminous with european society this is through the middle ages and it's the Reformation and the Renaissance, and the end of uh, the end of this this dominance of uh, church power in society, and it, it gets. I mean, again, to go pull my bell, Kavanaugh, it gets surrendered to uh, state you know, liberal liberal states, and and by liberal, I mean in a good sense that this is where democracy comes from, and and this is where mediating conflicts through nonviolent means comes from um, it comes from Christians killing each other this is actually not Bill Kavanaugh this is more uh, the other side of the discussion is, is 
with, with Professor Ephraim Radner. Um, but even then, and so, but even then we have a situation where, uh, you know, the church isn't in control anymore. It's surrendered to these states. And just like the Babylonian exile, the term is providential, that God actually wills this to put a stop to the, the corruption and violence of Christians on each other. Um, fascinating argument. So that brings us to, say, the 60s, 70s, and 1960s, 1970s, and, and, and really our contemporary situation now, where, um, I mean, Christendom, you know, the, the absolute power, the power of Christendom, that broke at the Reformation, but really took until until the aftermath of World War II to really to really end. And um, I mean, Star Wars is being written in in the late seventies, in, in just after uh, you know the Quiet Revolution in Quebec. I don't think George Lucas was necessarily thinking about that, but that's an an excellent example. Um, the you know the rise of feminist movement and and queer movements and, and and all these things to say uh, any kind of past structure has set up these norms that uh, push people down and, and enslave people. Um, and so, and, and it isn't just, it, it's, it isn't just, you know, queer and feminist movements. I mean, they're at their best are just as critical of, of secular capitalism. What what we're really getting at here is, yeah, I mean, the rise of capitalism and communism as these two great ways of ordering society in this very technical manner that says, this is what our lives are about now. <laughs> um, and, you know, capital communism is more blatant in its uh, pushing... Christian faith and and Islam is in there too and Judaism is there too but uh, the Russia's Orthodox thing about the Soviet Union Russia's Orthodox heritage into the corner it's more obvious about that um, capitalism had a different thing but it still was a matter of uh, sticking it not in the corner but just in the hole that faith convictions just have no place in the public square for fear of, of those convictions being imposed on others. And I understand that, but in its place it becomes this, this very total secular mindset where there's this vac faith vacuum. Um, and so that raises questions that, and, and so all these situations I mean, that was, that was a long, hopefully not too long-winded overview, but what those raise, the question all those raise is twofold. How do we, you know, if we're on the other side of those things, or on this other side is twofold. How do we understand, uh, well, how do we understand our place, our relationship to what is now the dominant culture of which we are, not entirely. I mean, some parts of North America, yeah, Christians are still dominant. Even the residue of Christianity is there, but um, that 
and the question, you know, do we do we rail against it? Do we compromise with it? And this is, I believe Reinhold Niebuhr's, you know, Christ over culture, Christ in culture, all that stuff. Do we do we seek ways in this Benedict Sixteenth, the creative minorities of you know, finding ways to to seek the truth of what we believe and. And, whatnot. and and that that raises the second question of how then shall we live? So um, that's it. So just to to back up again, there are in all of these there are three phases of uh, of what's of what's going on. It and it's unfortunate because it's really in a way it's just, and this is the way these these points in history actually come together is because it's, it's a bit of a cycle. Um, right. I mean, we have go from this state of, of purity, of, of of integrity, if you will, and that gets more entrenched and more corrupt and more unequal, and so finally, finally it breaks, and we're in a state of exile, and we're we're in a state of exiling, I should say. And then after that is is the state of exile, in which we actually stop and, and reflect on what's our relationship with the dominant culture and how do we, how then shall we live? Um, the Jedi in Order 66 and, and Avenger the Sith. So, um, because I'm coming at all, I'm coming at episode three with all these, this, this lens. I mean, I actually, again, don't, Find, don't think it's an all or nothing sense of the Jedi were corrupt and fallen. Uh, I may have been a bit facile with the way I talked about it. Um, I don't, I think, I do think there were elements within the Jedi um, that, that were questioning things, that were st- still trying to carry on how. Uh, yeah, just just how being trying to be faithful to the meaning of the code. Um, I think the clearest examples, and I want to go back to my Qui Gon Jinn episode, is is the prophetic role here. And it's interesting that uh, Brandon brought up Kanan Jarrus, you know, um, Caleb Doom. I think if he there was a way of uh, of nurturing for some reason, Qui Gon stayed with the Jedi Order, right? I wonder if um, if Order 66 hadn't happened that there would be these internal reformers, right? I mean, we, we talk about, uh, even at the Reformation, we talk about Catholics who were also questioning and, and shaping but not breaking with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, thinking about uh, the Discalce kind of Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, um, Erasmus, <laughs> these examples. Um, and so, yeah. And But all that being said, I mean, there's a clear sense, and this is clearly what George Lucas is trying to get at, is there is a clear collusion um, between the Jedi and the Republic <laughs> to the point that, uh, that, yeah, I mean, Tarkin 
gets to be a prosecutor in Ahsoka's case because um, this isn't strictly an internal matter. Yeah, it's a criminal case, but um, I mean, almost to the point. What, what's interesting, and in my response to to the Beltway Banthas uh, episode, I tweeted this out. Um, you know, in the Middle Ages, there were these protections for for clergy, um, for better and for worse. I mean, they could be abused, and they have been abused. But protections for clergy from civil criminal litigation, from from lay people bringing charges against them, and um, and I miss misread that. I mean. I thought that's what premunire was. It's actually the opposite. Premunire is actually an assertion in England that that can't happen to some degree, especially I think to do with property and, and other things. Um, and that's an example of, of this this crumbling, right? Of the Jedi have now come totally under the the edifices of the Republic in, in this small way. Such that, you know, uh, if, if if the if the chancellor wants this conviction, we know, of course, the chancellor wants this conviction, so it'll drive Anakin out of the Jedi Order. That the Jedi are, are going to oblige by uh, by setting up ah- Ahsoka. Um, you know. And partly even internally, I mean, what's another thing going on there is, and this is the thing that Brandon really points, hits on, is um, they want justice. They don't care if it's actually justice. They want justice. They want they want a conviction. The Jedi want a conviction, right? Um, you know, and, and we, I mean, we see this in, in examples of, of well... I don't want to say necessarily we see this in examples of, of church discipline, but <clears throat> what we see, for example, in, in the Roman occupation, um, right? I mean, the, the the narrative of the Gospels is this huge tension between Jesus' followers and the Pharisees. And, I mean, that's, that's a very clear parallel right there of, you know, the Pharisees, they believe that the best way is, is to strive for this sort of Moral purity defined legally, defined by following the rules. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is after moral purity. Let's <laughs> not sugarcoat that. Um, the point being that he offers it through himself. And so, similarly, you know, the force. If if I'm if I'm you know the light side, and this this is maybe the, and this is going to get onto my whole not so crazy about gray Jedi bit but maybe it's a whole other other discussion the force is seeking moral purity and maybe this is where it fits in is what I think Rey is going in, in The Last Jedi right where Ahsoka end up, ends up going she ends up again she ends up uh, submitting to the light side she just can't do it from within the Jedi Order because the Jedi aren't facilitating uh, and again I don't want to be all or nothing the Jedi 
in the way they're making it very difficult for her to submit to the light side. Of course, in that moment, she's being framed. Um, but she, I mean, she isn't being support. I mean, even when they, when they, when the biggest point there is when she's welcome back, uh, she, she's, she's says, no, uh, I'm not going to be supported here. I want to do good. I want to be a guardian of peace and justice in the galaxy. You're sticking with this code and you need a conviction. More to the point, and this doesn't quite fit with Ahsoka's story, but I mean, the overall point of, of the overall question that, uh, you know, episode two raises, and, and Yoda, even at the very end, does ask this question, right? Um, you know, <laughs> the Jedi are very difficult, making it very difficult to be guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy because they're you know, fighting a war. How can you be guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy if you're fighting a war? And what get? How does it get to that point? Um, Yoda, he and he doesn't give an answer, even though it sounds like an answer at the end. It's this very cryptic thing, right? Uh, one of the most probably a very important point of the whole saga. Uh, one member of the council, I don't remember, talking about the Battle of Geonosis, and yeah. It, they're, they're back at the council talking about the Battle of Geonosis and um, Water Break. The, <coughs> another another council I don't remember, I think Kiati Mundi, I think. Says, it was a great victory. They, they routed the Separatist forces. And Yoda shoots back his victory. There's no vac- victory. The Shroud of the Dark Side has fallen begun the Clone War has. <clears throat> so you see even there, yeah, an acknowledgement that they can't fully see things, and they're very clear. Um, and yet they still keep going anyway. Full steam ahead. Um, and so, <clears throat> I mean, interesting parallels, just thinking back to, you know, Ahsoka and um, you know, parallels to Ahsoka and Jesus in, you know, how, I mean, this is even more the, the temple authorities who are even more about the temple and, and rules and Roman occupation than, than the Pharisees are. I mean, they definitely want a conviction. They don't care how just they get. There's a good parallel. That just slipped in my mind. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you, you look throughout Christian history, I mean, Again, the Reformation. You, I mean, you had armies that you know. You had Protestant armies. You had Catholic armies, and they were inter so intertwined with sure intertwined with land interests and the freedom to worship. I'm going to worship this way, and not freedom to worship, but the 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 authority to require people in this this place to worship in this way. To believe these things, um, you know, in England, you and well, not just England, really, you have, everywhere you have beheadings and these massacres, the same our Paul Muse Day massacre, similar way, right? You know, how many massacres happen in the Clone Wars by clones, as much as they supposedly try to prevent uh, 
you know, try and prevent all these catastrophes. You know, St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre is French author- French Catholic authorities rounding up Protestants and, and burning them. Right. Um, you know, in some ways, it's no wonder the, you know, these free churches want to be independent, you know, the Puritans and, and others. You know, it's no wonder all these separatist worlds, those outer room worlds, want their independence from the Republic. Because, and, and want to turn to machines, and there are no separatist Jedi, right? <laughs> so, um, all that to say, we can clearly see these parallels with, with the corruption being entrenched in state interests and political interests on the ground. Um, you know, I mean, and of course, you you know, George Lucas is writing this during the Bush administration and in a place in the southern U.S. where there is still a lot of Christendom and a lot of the use of Christian language to justify a very hyper-capitalist rush to war. Um, you know, doing the opposite of, of what you know, the implications of the gospel are in a lot of ways. And, um, and we, we've gotten to this point. We don't see it. We actually see it. This is the weird thing. We don't see the crazy thing. We see it more explicitly in real life than we do in Star Wars. Uh, the whole, you know, I mean, it's a, the Donald Trump phenomenon. And, and Christians saying Donald Trump is God's leader and we're going to pray for him. We have uh, a guy saying that the, the hurricanes are God's judgment for disrespecting Trump. We see that more clearly it's as if Jedi had said it's the will of the force for Palpatine to take over that's, that's as, as as clear as, as that and um, and so you know it, it's it's kind of the same level of clarity as the Trade Federation and Camino having seats in the Senate that's simply an allegory well it's, the allegory gets flipped here very fascinating. We didn't. There are no Jedi who <laughs> claim that Palpatine should take over. Um, there are Inquisitors and others who, or not the, or the Grand Inquisitor who uh, does actually submit to Palpatine's rule and, of course, Vader. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's that's a broad thing of the first phase. I don't necessarily need to spend too much time on the the second phase here, but uh, the second phase, I mean, it's kind of funny when Luke says, time for the Jedi to end. And, and, and at, at first I thought, oh, shoot, it means the rebuilt Jedi. Well, here's the funny thing, though. The Jedi did end. Um, people made <laughs> these uh, people made this, these comments that the trailer came out 66 days before uh, before the film comes out, I don't think I think that was just a coincidence, but that was the time the Jedi ended, right? Um, that they're precisely in the right place at the right time for that to happen. It's the very army that they've gotten entrenched into uh, that literally ends up shooting them in the back. In the same way, I mean, this is the point of especially with the Babylonian, Babylonian exile. 
it's all these political games and, and maneuvering and everything. It's the very politicking that the the you know, the rulers of Israel try to pull is the very thing that is their undoing. And, and it's precisely because in the narrative it's they've turned away from well turned away from from submitting to to God as their king. That's why the Jedi have turned away from submitting to the light side of the Force and have actually <laughs> turned to the Chancellor and the Senate as their as their guiding wisdom. Such that here, here brings up another thing. Shoot, I guess I'm still back on the the first phase, but um, you know, midi chlorines, and, and I think we've been over this before, but right. I mean, midi chlorines is. It, it, if that becomes their understanding of capability and the force, um, you know, the they can bring in someone like Anakin or whoever that just doesn't possess the wisdom going forward. Um, in the the parallel that comes to my mind um, in the fifties and sixties or before, uh, I mean, we talk about seminary education and talk about even catechesis, just learning these rote things and your ability to to regurgitate you know certain facts and quote unquote facts or whatever about what the Bible says and what you ought to do and it's very I mean system of very technical doctrinal uh, categorization that in and of itself isn't bad, right? I mean the greatest theologian that ever lived, one of the greatest theologians that ever lived, Thomas Aquinas, is the father of systematizing. It's called scholasticism, right? But by the 19th, 20th century, it it had become this system that, and so it doesn't matter who you are on the inside. doesn't matter, you know, at least doesn't matter as much the wisdom that you've gained in counseling people and caring for people. There are important exceptions and there are important counter arguments. But by and large, I mean, it's like standardized testing in, in public schools today, right? Um, and so when the crisis hits, when Order 66 hits, when secularism hits, all the systematic knowledge in the world just doesn't help. <laughs> it's, you know, we can't respond or we respond very defensively. And this gets to the the last point in the third phase that actually I think is can be the most exciting to, in my mind. How then shall we live? Uh, I've said this before, my favorite favorite series of stories from legends maybe more than Darth Plagueis maybe almost or or Dark Times Uh, it was the this this run that's in collect known in a pair of omnibuses and 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 Kanan uh, the Kanan comic picks up on that precise timeline Uh, a few things you know Kanan and Ezra and Rebels does pick up on this to some degree um They've, you know, both Kanan, both Caleb Doom and Ahsoka, and 
all these other characters and communities in 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 this legends story of of, of dark times. And what's amazing there is their their world, their every their their social structure, the very codes that gave them meaning. And this is the thing: it's the code. It isn't just a thing to regurgitate. Gave the meaning uh, is gone. How then shall they live? I mean, this is Yoda and Dagobah. <laughs> this is Obi Wan on Tatooine or Ben. Um, in a way, just to, to sneak this in, this is Voyager and the Delta Quadrant. But that's <clears throat> another related thing. Um, what this really presses is what does the code actually mean? What does it actually mean to submit to the the lights out of the force? To have balance, right? What does it actually mean? And, and um, we see, I think we see with Yoda, we see with, uh, with, with Ben, we see with these communities, interestingly, in, in, uh, in dark times, uh, the, the comic fostering continuation of knowledge, development of wisdom. Um, and we see the, the better parts of the rebellion and they're minimizing casualties and they're uh, <clears throat> certainly just going after military targets. Uh, they, they don't minimize casualties by destroying the Death Star, but that's another debate. Um, they're uh, meditating on the, the real person-to-person, not just human, person-to-person relationships, um, the, the uh, even just the meaning of, you know, who the Chosen One is, <laughs> All that it, it it it's exciting. It forces because exile forces these these questions. Um, you know, it it forced you know, Yoda and and Ben. I mean, what they're thinking about is how do we get here? All these questions. What does that mean going forward? Right. Um. And so you know, this is and this is where Luke is on October. He's seen all this. He's seen it happen again in miniature. We don't quite know what. Um, but you know, he turns to, to Ray and says, it's time for the Jedi to end. And, and again, I, I don't like all or nothing claims. Um, this is where the parallel diverges. Because, frankly... After all that, I'm, if, if by Jedi you mean a a large, in, uh, the goal of reestablishing a large institution that is married to the New Republic in its aims, uh, yeah, I have no problem with that ending. Um, that is no longer a shock to me. That again, from the trailer reaction, we don't know what's happening in the trailer, but uh, you know, Ray just wants to know her place in all this. And like Ahsoka, if she 
is seeking to submit to the light side um, to find that balance. She's going to seek it out where she can, and she needs to have the wisdom about her. Um, you know, it would be interesting if they actually brought up midichlorines and her midichlorine count <laughs> in the relative thing, but to see its importance relativized, not eliminated, but relativized. Right. That's part of, maybe part of the explanation why she can do what she can do, but it's raw power. Like Luke said, right. <laughs> I've seen this raw power before to learn the wisdom of how to use it. Well, um, do I believe the church is entirely, utterly corrupt and lost its way? No, <laughs> clearly not. Uh, what am I doing every Sunday morning and Friday night and a lot of times in between? Do I believe that there's an extent to which uh, our exile and secularism is deserved? Yeah, I think we are living in a pluralist society where we need to navigate how to engage with people, how to care for them, um, how to respect where they're coming from. Uh, and we certainly can't be defensive about difference. <laughs> That's you know, clearly the last gasp of Christendom is this hyper-defensiveness. Of, of people who are different. Do I believe secularism is an authentic way <laughs> of mediating those those pluralisms? Um, in some ways, I think liberal democracy still holds out a good promise of mediating conflict in nonviolent ways. Um, but an authentic pluralism. <laughs> is still a matter of being honest about your own convictions. I mean, this is why I'm actually grateful that I can actually bring the, bring up all these themes in this podcast. And it's the fandom that frankly, through nobody's intentional choice, I don't think, but there just hasn't been much engagement with, with Christian faith. Um, and why I'm actually hopeful that those of us who are engaging in, Star Wars and Christian faith can continue to to do it from a place of honesty, uh, place of I do believe that who God is, Jesus Christ is who He claims He is. <laughs> um, you know that yeah, history, the history of the Church, the history of humanity, of Western civilization, of other things is more complicated than simply. Uh, old, bad, new, good. I also don't deny that in some ways old has been bad and new is good. Um, but it's this wrestling that I find fascinating. It's this ability to uh, tap in specifically to the, the thing is the way Star Wars isn't a secular story. It isn't a secular narrative. Um, there are a lot of secular people who are, are a part of it and engage with it, and that's that's awesome. Um, 
but the primary worldview, I mean, it is kind of its own thing. And, and it comes from all these, all these traditions and the extent of it's an authentic pluralism. Is it a soup? I don't know. Um, but, and the last Jedi is probably going to change a lot of things and I'm going to have some things to say about it. I hope. Um, but, um, that's that's the thing is is the Jedi in the dark times, you know, Christians in the West today. Uh, you know the the thing of the idea of being a creative minority. Um, you know it it isn't as as strong just because you know we don't have an empire coming down breathing on the backs. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe we're being persecuted. I'm not claiming that. Um, my point here is, is there is an opportunity to reaffirm the truth of our convictions. And not just the truth, but the truth that is love. That is, oh, we really do believe that God in his love gave himself over to us in his son. <laughs> we really do believe that in so doing, he will actually restore all things to their proper goodness. Um, we really do believe then that we should act in ways of of kindness and charity and generosity. And charity meaning love. <laughs> um, that we should actually be guardians of peace and justice in society. Uh, that we shouldn't be be co-opted into uh, capitalist or military uh, industrial conflicts. Right. <coughs> I think I mean that's that's why the Last Jedi is going to be so exciting. It's why being a Western Christian in the twenty first century is so exciting, and. <coughs> Sorry. That's why I think these parallels and exploring these parallels are so exciting. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully I, I made some sense there. Hopefully, you guys grasp what I'm getting at. Um, exile is not a fun place to be. <laughs> um, it's not an easy place to be. But in a lot of ways, it's the right place to be. If if <coughs> where we've come from was not where we were meant to be, and it requires us to be shifted and moved. And so, again, I have no problem if it's time for the Jedi to end. You know, I have no problem with Christians being one of many in society. Um... I do have a problem if we use that as, as an excuse to just be closed down and be defensive. Um, we are called to reach out and connect on a human level uh, because we do believe what we believe. That God connected with us on a human level. Um, and so I'm grateful that Star Wars actually... Uh, 
gives us the opportunity to to explore these things. Um, hopefully, hopefully they make good in the last Jedi. I, I, I am actually the more I think about it, the more excited I am. Um, so, those are my thoughts. Uh, you know, please let me know what you think. Uh, please. Uh, follow me if you if you want on Twitter. Comment on Twitter at neug485 on Instagram at mneug1138. Thanks for listening. May the force be with you always. <laughs>